preach a message to you titled Unwrap Lazarus. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord, for your sovereignty. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We thank you for your consistency. We thank you, Lord, that you never fail. Lord, that you always hear us. You are always for us. And I thank you, Lord, that this morning that you are stirring in our hearts and in our lives for a new work. I thank you, Father, Lord, for new life, for life abundant. Pray, Lord, now that you would open our minds to understand your scripture. Open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us. Let nothing be left undone. Have your glory in this place. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone say amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. So I wrote my first book, y'all. And, and that's what I'm going to be sharing a bit to, uh, with you this morning on Unwrap Lazarus. And I'm not going to be able to dive into the entirety of it. Um, and it will be available after service this morning. But I want to tell you the journey that the Lord led me on to this passage and through this word. Um, I believe that it's a needed word for the body of Christ today so desperately um, because I believe that the Lord wants to unwrap people. Somebody say unwrap. unwrap. So over eight years ago in 2015, me and my wife, we actually were youth pastors in Houston, Texas for about nine years. And during that time, we came up to Dallas, Texas in 2015, and we were coming to, um, to a conference. And as we were coming to that conference, we were riding in our 2003 Infinity car that sometimes had AC, you know what I'm talking about. You know, the kind of that hoopty, you know what I'm saying, and got to roll the windows down and all that jazz. And so we we're kind of we're burning up on that uh, 45, up, uh, driving up this way. And, um, and then that morning, it started to rain. It started to rain, so it's never, it's never great because your car don't have AC. And then you got the window down and cracked, but then you're getting splattered by water. Y'all know what I'm saying? You, you, see, you get the imagery. And so, um, so we had to go to a conference and go to a uh, church here um, in, da in the Dallas area. And uh, we were with some of our staff members. They were riding in, 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 in their vehicles, and we were driving up. And we get there, and, you know, it's early that morning, so we get our umbrella, we get out the car, we come into the lobby, and we just see banners saying, Freedom Encounter, Freedom Encounter. I'm like, okay, let's see what's, what's going to take place here. And uh, we needed coffee because you always got to get coffee. Come on, somebody. Can you give it up for your coffee team, by the way? Because let me tell you, they gave me a vanilla oat milk uh, latte, double shot espresso. It literally changed my life this morning. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I came off of five weeks of camp. I needed that. I needed that. That was a move of God this morning. Um, so we needed our coffee first thing in the morning. We get our coffee, and then we step into a room, and this room has seats and tables and everything, and we're about to receive just kind of this training. And a pastor gets up on stage, and he opens his Bible to the same passage that I just read to you. And he said, unwrap him and let him go. And he closes his Bible, and he simply says, you may have been born again. You may have been raised to new life, but have you been unwrapped? Have you been unwrapped? The picture of Lazarus is the picture of every believer. Every believer, when we give our lives to Christ, we are Lazarus. 
See, God doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people alive. You weren't, you weren't just in a bad lifestyle. You were dead. You were dead in your grave. You were dead in your sin. You were dead in those old things. And God did not just make you a good person. He raised you from the dead. You have been resurrected. And even though we've been resurrected, we can still be wrapped up. An old lifestyle, old grave clothes, old thinking, old habits, old desires, old things that did not serve us well, old longings that we need to let God really crucify and remove out of our hearts and out of our lives, old bondage, old thinking, the way we grew up, the way we operated, the way we were before Christ, and now we have to learn Christ in his truth and his word and that's the importance of discipleship and that's the importance of why I believe the Lord brought us here today because I believe every believer has to be in a journey of being unwrapped and the truth is that most times what we immediately think is that's simply mainly for the new believer can I tell you it's for the mature believer in fact sometimes we can sit so long in the body of Christ that we haven't been unwrapped. We've just confirmed things that God wanted to remove. And we've just reinforced things that God actually wants to deal with. And we've built our lives on religious mindsets. Oh, no. Here we go. That the Lord wants to deal with. You know, there's this saying, um, practice makes perfect. Anybody ever heard this? Practice makes perfect. And I was, uh, there was a coach, and he said, that's... That's false. He said, perfect practice makes perfect. Because practice, practice itself, if you're practicing the wrong thing and doing it the wrong way, you actually will reinforce it in your life and you actually build a lifestyle or build a habit that is wrong. So it's not just have you been in the body of Christ, it's have you been living and being the church, not attending church. Have you been living a lifestyle surrendered, not just singing songs about it in worship services? We all need to be unwrapped. New believer, mature believer. Truth is that freedom is a process. It's a journey. Every person has a journey of freedom. Um, for me, I grew up in church. My mama made sure I was in church. <laughs> I didn't have an option. It's crazy to me because I've been a youth pastor for years and, and parents was, well, I didn't let make them come to church because they didn't want to. I said, huh? <laughs> what do you mean? He has a choice? Wow, I never had one of those. <sighs> Decision-making power. My mom did not give me that. Um, my mom made sure I was in church. Um, in fact, there was one time I said to my mom, I said, Mama, I don't want to go to church today. I want to stay home, hang out with my cousin, Jermaine. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I'm still trying to recollect because all I remember is something was flying. I was like looking here and like something was coming. And then it just went black. It just went. Just trying to remember. And I just woke up on a pew. I woke up, woke up in church, and that was, that was the end of that. That was, 
My mama kept me in church. Um, but even though I was in the church, I was not being the church. I was around Jesus. I had learned and heard about Jesus. I did not have Jesus in me. Um, in fact, for 18 years of my life, for the first 18 years of my life, I, I just was attending, attending, attending. I learned everything, learned religiousness, learned services, learned standing, sitting. I learned all of this. Now, part of it was some of the churches that we were a part of that I saw some things that in leaders and, and others that really was conflicting. I was like, man, wow, that's, a, that's one of the people that's leading, and yet this is how they're living. And so it, it caused a lot of confusion and bro brokenness for me, but also um, you can let that be an excuse for you. A lot of times we make other people's failures and shortcomings our reason why we don't ever trust God. It's you can trust God on your own, not just based off of what you've seen. And I had to come to that realization that even though I didn't see a perfect church, there is a perfect God. Even though I didn't see a perfect, perfect people, Jesus himself, he is perfect. And he encountered my life and changed me from that day. So I, I actually, when I turned 18, I graduated from high school. And the very next week, I got, I gave my life to the Lord. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Same night, I was utterly transformed. And, um, and everything that I grew up in made sense. Everything that I had heard, the songs that I had heard, and, and the, the, the stories that I was told in the Word, it, it all came alive. And so I just want to encourage parents, families, that even if your, your child may not get it yet, you're giving them space for what's being poured into them to come alive one day. So we continue, we don't want to take them out of the space where the encounter can happen. And my mom, even though she knew that I wasn't living it, even though she knew I wasn't wanting to be there, she kept me there. And as I stayed there, God encountered me. And look where I am today. And so I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't get frustrated. And don't feel like it's over. It's never over. And this story about Lazarus is, I mean, if there's one thing we could say, it's not over. Right, that he had died, he had passed away, he had perished, and yet God had purpose and God had a plan. And so I want to dive into this journey on freedom. Somebody say freedom. Yeah. Here's part of the problem, and this is going to challenge some of us in, in different ways today, um, because we have American freedom. But American freedom is not always biblical freedom. Um, American freedom is founded upon give me liberty or give me death. And the truth is that's an incredible statement that really started and helped us to found the nation that we see today. So I don't want to discredit any of the sacrifice, any of the, the things that were laid down for us to have the freedoms and the liberties we have today. But through the word of God, it isn't choosing between liberty and death. It is liberty through death. I, I'm not deciding freedom or dying. When I die to myself, that's where freedom happens. And God invites us on this journey to discover true freedom, true wholeness. So you guys ready for the journey this morning? Amen. I want to jump to, I, I, I jumped all the way down in John chapter 11. So let's start at the beginning. 
John 11, verses 1 through 6. We're going to start there. Let the Holy Spirit lead us today. John 11, 1 through 6. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Somebody say Lazarus. The name Lazarus means the one who God has helped. So all of us are Lazarus. Every single person, when you come to Christ, you're Lazarus. Because God's the one that helped you out of your grave. You didn't do it on your own, your good works or anything. God raises the dead. So Lazarus of Bethany was sick in the village of Martha, uh, uh, of Martha and Mary. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. If you got your Bible, maybe you want to underline right there. Um, that's a key statement. Somebody say, the one you love is sick. So what are they doing? They're talking about God's love for this man and out of that love to move upon his life, right? The one you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, now Jesus loved, somebody say loved. loved. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So... When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Okay, let's reread that because that didn't make any sense. It says that the one that Jesus loves is sick. They send word saying, come, he's sick. Would you come and heal him? You've performed miracles. We've seen it. We know what you can do. We know who you are. Come and heal our brother. And then it says, now Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he went immediately. No. When he heard that he was sick, he dropped everything and said, let's get, let's get there. No, it says he stayed two days later. Doesn't this do conflict with our idea of God's love? Our idea of God's love is immediate. What if his love is he's going to wait? What if, what, if, what if God doesn't want to reveal his love to you by immediately responding? What if he reveals his love for you through the waiting? Through, through the lack of response? the things that you know God has for you, but it hasn't happened yet. The things that you know you've been crying out for, believing for, but they haven't taken place yet. Why would God wait when he says so emphatically multiple times here that he loves Lazarus? The love of God doesn't operate the way our human love would operate. God's love, in, in, in another passage, in, in uh, Peter writes that God is not slow, as some count slowness. That he's not slack. So he has purpose. He has intentionality. 
But if he loves us, so why doesn't he move so fast? Why doesn't things happen as fast as we would like them? What if he doesn't want to reveal his love in moving quickly? What if he wants to reveal his love for you by waiting? See, why does God wait? God waits when what he has is bigger than what you're praying for. God, God waits when what he has in store is greater than what you were asking for. See, sometimes, I truly believe this, most believers are praying for things they're not ready to live at the level of. And other times, we're praying smaller than what God is really wanting to bring. God had bigger plans for Lazarus. God had bigger plans for this situation. All they wanted was a healing, but God wanted a resurrection. All they wanted was a miracle, but God said, I want, I want a resurrection that hadn't been seen yet. We find this principle throughout God's word in multiple passages and multiple ways. One that I want to bring to your attention is in 1 Samuel chapter 1 about a woman named Hannah. Hannah, she has a husband named Elkanah, and her husband has another wife named Panina. And Panina can have children. She has child after child after child after child, and Elkanah is getting his children from Panina, but he loves Hannah. He loves Hannah, but Hannah can't give birth. She can't have a child. Bible says that this is going on for years, for years in their marriage, that she cannot have a child. And then it says something peculiar. It says, because her womb was shut by the Lord. Doesn't say by Satan, doesn't say by disease, doesn't say because of sin, says by the Lord. What do you do when the Lord closes the door? What, what do you do when it wasn't the devil, when it wasn't hell, it was the Lord? And it says the Lord closed her womb. Kind of like what Jesus said here about Lazarus' healing, that this sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God. What do you do when sometimes something comes into your life that's for his glory that doesn't look like the way you think glory would look? So Hannah can't have children. All she really desperately wants is she wants to have a child. And more importantly, she wants to have a son. She wants to have a son. She wants to give her husband a son. Because a son carries the birthright. The son carries the family's name. The son means legacy. The son would take care of her in her older age. She wanted to have a son. But just because she was wanting to have a son... God was wanting a prophet. And so she's crying out for a son. God's saying, I'm wanting to birth a new prophet in Israel. And there comes a day that Hannah shifts her prayers and she says, Lord, if you'll give him to me, I will surrender him to your house for all his days. And that's all God was waiting on. And all of a sudden she gets pregnant. She has a son named Samuel, and she follows through with her covenant with God. And she truly surrenders him. And who's Samuel? Samuel's the one that anointed David. Who's David? David's the king over Israel. Who came through David? Jesus. Maybe God's wanting to set up something so significant 
that's been waiting in your life for so long. God waits when his plans are bigger than what we were expecting. So then we have to ask the question, one, am I willing to live at the level of what I'm praying for? Secondly, am I praying too small? Am I preparing too small versus what God really wants to do? Lazarus, Martha and Mary, they wanted a healing, but Jesus wanted a resurrection. Jesus had resurrection in mind. Now, here's the problem with resurrection. Touch your neighbor say, here's the problem. The problem with resurrection is somebody has to die. We love resurrection. Boy, we don't talk about death. We don't like to die. Something's got to die. This walk with Christ is a walk called into death. Right? He said this. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my follower, a disciple of mine, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily. Oh. Because some of us, we're willing to take up our cross at an altar call. We're willing to take up our cross when we first give our lives to Christ. Jesus calls us to the cross daily. Daily dying. Daily laying myself down. Daily surrendering. Daily posturing my heart. Not my will, but your will. Not my desires, but your desires. You want to be a great husband? I've just been learning this. You want to be a great husband? Die. There you go. Want to, want to be a great father? Die. Want to be a great leader? Die. The cross is the solution to all of life. And why did Jesus choose it? Jesus came to the earth. Bible literally just says he came to die. And he came to not just die in our place, he did that, but he also died for us to know how to take our place in dying as well. We're called to carry a cross. And if God's going to resurrect anything, something's got to die. And I, I, and I just want to set this before you today. I think this is honestly one of the biggest hurdles for believers Embracing all of God's newness is you haven't died fully to all of the old. I want new, but I'm still alive to the old sin. I, gotta, I, I want my next season, but I still love my current season. God can't give you both. So if I truly want the life God has for me, I've got to be willing to die to the old one. Truly lay it down. And this competes with all of the new life God has for us, the old grave clothes. So Lazarus 
had to die. Somebody say had to die. Because Jesus had a bigger plan. So the Bible says that Jesus waited. Then he says, after a bit, he says, okay. Talks to the disciples, says, let's go. It's been two days, been waiting two days. Let's go. Let's go see Lazarus. The disciples, they ain't smart. <laughs> I like them because they give me hope. You know? Like if they were intelligent and just had it all together, I'd be like, man, I can't do it. You know, but I'm, I'm grateful for Peter. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the disciples. They weren't a bright bunch. And they had Jesus, the Son of God, as their leader. And they just, they were all over the place. Perfect. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for telling me I can follow. Because Jesus is talking to me and says, all right, let's go. Let's go see Lazarus, our friend Lazarus. He, he has fallen asleep. Now, he's died. But Jesus said he's asleep. The world says it's dead, but Jesus says it's just sleeping. So we choose to live from what Jesus says, not just what culture or the doctor's report says. We live from what Jesus says. So he says he's falling asleep. It's time to go wake him up. Well, they say, the disciples, because they're so bright. They're A-plus students. They say, well, if he's sleeping, he'll wake up. Why do we need to go? So literally, the Bible literally says, so Jesus said plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Let's go. Literally, he says it just like that. Okay? Sometimes Jesus has got to break it down, you know, put the cookies on the lower shelf. And so... So they go, um, and there's so much here. There's so, 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 so much. I, I'm, I'm really, man, I can't do it justice. But they go, they get to Bethany. Bible says that Martha and Mary are there, and they're weeping because their brother has been dead. At this point now, it's been four days. Somebody say four days. Four days. It's been four days that he's been dead. And as, there, as he gets there, he waits on the outside of the town of Bethany, and Martha hears that the teacher has come. She runs to the edge of town to meet him. And she begins to say this. And we're going to pick it up in John 11, verse 21. It says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I just want to give you a side note question. Do, are there parts in your life that you believe God wasn't there? And if he wasn't there, then I want to set the question before you, then where was he? Because a lot of us believe that there were times in our lives that God was not there. But biblically, scripturally, and really to bring full healing to you, it's going to help you to realize that he actually was. And then it does war on our ideas of what would he have done if he was there. Just like she said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. For some of us, it could be, Lord, if you had been there, the abuse wouldn't have happened. Lord, if you had been there, that, that divorce wouldn't have taken place. Lord, if you had been there, this addiction wouldn't have started in my life. Lord, if you had been there. 
And it begs the question, where was God? But through scripture, we see that God has never forsaken us. And it causes a big pushback of, well, if he was there, then why did he let certain things happen? I mean, if there's, certain, if there's one main question that I think all of the world kind of justifyingly tries to say against God is if God was there, then why did these things happen? Where was God? Isn't it interesting that that's also the first question that God asked man in the garden? The first question he ever asked a man was where are you? So we've we're as culture, we're saying, where is God? God's saying, where were you? Interesting. But it says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I am. Somebody say, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus didn't say he does resurrection. He is resurrection. Resurrection isn't something he does or something that he can do. It is who he is. It is his nature. God doesn't heal. He is healing. God doesn't just love you. He is love. He doesn't just resurrect. He is the resurrection. He is the life. It is so powerful because God doesn't start comforting Martha by telling her how powerful she is. He starts comforting her by telling her who he is. What happens sometimes when we're trying to console and strengthen is we start telling people who they are. When really the true anchor for your soul is not who you are, it's who he is. And if you can get a revelation of who he is, it will make all the difference in your life. Because we're founded upon who he is. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says this statement, do you believe this? Touch your neighbor say, do you believe this? Can I tell you something about faith? I've, I've broken faith down to a statement that helps it to be clear for me. So whenever I'm praying for people, whenever I'm believing, as, as, like I said earlier, all this summer, Lives seen, uh, being changed, healing the sick, breaking of addictions. Here's the statement that I've boiled faith down to. And it's from the word of God. It's from Paul. Paul said it a little differently. He said, I am convinced that he is able. And that has so set me free. If I'm going to say what faith is, that's how I'm living is I am convinced that he is able. 
Not am I able. I'm not able. I'm not able to heal the sick. I'm not able to raise the dead. So my convince is not in my ability. What I'm convinced about is his ability. Secondly, I'm not a com convinced about how he'll do it. I'm, I'm not telling him how to do it. I'm not telling him how I want him to come through. I'm just convinced he is able, and I'm going to pray like he's able. I'm going to take steps of faith like he is able. I'm going to live my life convinced. I'm convinced. Part of the problem for many of us is we're so convinced about our brokenness than we are about his perfection. We're more convinced about our history than we are about his future for us. So we've got to deal with the work in our minds. Say, I'm convinced about who he is. He is able. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Kind of to fast forward and we're going to pray. And maybe worship team or just even keys will be great. <clears throat> the Bible says that he gets there. Martha says this, Lord, if you had been there, been here, my brother would not have died. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord, I believe. Then she goes and gets Mary. Mary comes out. And Mary says the same thing that Martha said. Exact same statement. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Isn't it interesting how families have the same ideas about what happened? And part of the freedom probably in your life is coming out of how your family tells the story. In the home or the life that you've grown up in that has shaped how you see God. So she says the same thing. And then the Lord, the Bible says that the Lord is moved with almost like a compassionate anger. And he says, where have you laid him? Where have you laid him? Bible says that he comes to the tomb. This stone is in front. Oh, Jesus. This stone is in front. All the tomb was was a cave on the mountainside with a stone in front of it sealed by the family. No one can move the stone unless the family gives permission. No one can tamper with that grave. So Jesus said, roll the stone away. Why? Because he, he waits for you to give permission for him to move in your life. Say, I'm going to roll the stone away. I'm going to get the rocks and the and the things that have been blocking, you know, I'm going to stop agreeing with these lies. I'm going to move the stone away. I'm going to let Jesus speak into my life, speak into the dead places. But he, there's two words here in scripture that 2,000 years later still confound us. And it's in John 11, verse 35, and it simply says, Jesus wept. 
Jesus wept. It still, still is confusing. Because out of all of this narrative, out of all of, the, all of this buildup, we clearly know Jesus is going to raise the dead. Jesus is about to resurrect Lazarus. He's about to change their whole situation. But it says he weeps. Why does Jesus weep? I think it gives us great comfort to know that when God sees the brokenness and the death in our lives, he doesn't show up with condemnation. I think I just want to speak life over you right now that whatever has been broken or confused or hurt or needing mending in your life, he doesn't show up with anger or frustration at you for the things you've been living in. He shows up with compassion. Why did he weep? He wept to associate with us. We have a God. We couldn't get up to him, so he came down to us. We have a God that we couldn't come up to heaven, so he chose to be God with us, Emmanuel. He put himself in flesh like us. He put himself through temptation like us. He, he got in the dirt with us. That's our God. He, he doesn't condemn you for the dirt you're in. He'll step into it with you to lift you up out of it. And it says, Jesus wept. Hebrews tells us that we do not have a high priest who cannot associate or empathize with our weakness. He feels he feels everything you felt. I think it'll bring healing to your heart to realize the place where you wept, Jesus wept with you. The season where you felt like God wasn't there, he was there. And he was weeping with you. There's some things that's beyond our control, things that have happened to us, things that family members decided or others decided or the world decided to do to us that even, even the Lord doesn't stop. Why doesn't he stop it? Because it takes back his power that he's given mankind to have free will. A lot of people get frustrated. If God was there, then why did he let it happen? Here's the other question I'd ask you. What were the things that you did knowing that you shouldn't have done it? And why didn't God stop you? Because he's given all people free will. So, so we've all been in, influenced by someone's decisions, for good or for worse. But regardless of what you've experienced or encountered, God is for you, God is with you, and you are not alone. And it's, it's time. It's time to come out of the grave clothes to come out of that darkness. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, Lord, that you are drawing each heart closer to you. We thank you, Lord, for your moving 
and we will not keep a stone in front of the, of the brokenness in our lives. No, we're going to roll the stone away. thank you, Jesus, for freedom. We thank you, for Father, for healing, for wholeness. Lord, we thank you, Lord. I just hear the Lord saying, never the same. I just declare over people's hearts and lives. There's been some that you say, I, I've always been this way. I hear the Lord say, never the same. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to live thinking that way. That's not his portion for you. He didn't create you to stay in grave clothes. Across this place, would you just close your eyes with me? Would you pray this with me? Just would you say, Jesus, show me the times you were there when I didn't think you were. thank you for your heart of compassion. I thank you, Lord, for your heart of mercy. Your word says that you prefer mercy over judgment. God, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy, that you would prefer to forgive and to cleanse and to wash and to make whole instead of to condemn, to throw away, to give up on us. Your mercy triumphs over judgment. And I thank you for your compassion that is filling this place right now. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to cause people to leave this place and they're going to retell their story. That from this day forward, you're going to tell stories of what's happened to you differently. Because the Lord's going to rewrite your story. He's going to show you that he never left a single page in your book. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that because you never left a single page in our book, I thank you, Lord, that truly we can trust you to author and finish the rest of the book. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Across this place with every eye closed, if you're here this morning, and you know you've been living in the old. You've been living in the old. The old lifestyle, the old mindset. You, you may have prayed a prayer before, but you hadn't lived a lifestyle at the level of that prayer. But you're, you hear the Spirit of the Lord calling your heart. You're ready to surrender. Because God has so much better for you. So much better for you. With every eye closed, if you're here today and you're saying, I'm, I'm ready to lay down the old, the old grave clothes, the old lifestyle. 
I want the newness of life in Christ. I want you just to lift a hand to the Lord right now. So cross this place. Come on, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Yes, yes. Yes, all across this place. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You can, you can put your hand down. If you're here today and you've been walking with the Lord, but you know that there's been some struggles that you know the Lord's calling you to break free from, confusion, um, habits, uh, whatever it may have been that the Lord is dealing with and speaking to right now, I want to just join my faith to pray and touch and agree with you as well. But if that's you and you know the Lord's breaking old ideas and calling you into newness as well, why don't you lift a hand today to the Lord? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Yes, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Can we do this? Can we stand to our feet? Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today, and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469 606 2684 and uh, we want to respond and again just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with jesus don't forget next week we are here again same place same time nine o'clock and until then we hope you have an amazing week